there was a marker there for which I hadn't noticed. I couldn't understand. Uh, poor John Fox said USA, you know, is there to tell the arm USA army who died on the same day, which was the 26th of December, 1944. And when I asked everybody in the village, but nobody knew who he was. An excerpt from today's guest, who's written a book about Black World War II Medal of Honor recipient, John Fox. Author Solace Wales is here, and we'll speak to her right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spear. Welcome back. Today's guest's interest in World War II-era Italy was sparked at age 19 when she was a Smith College junior year abroad student in Siena and Florence. After college, she had a long career as a children's art educator. Her current book is called Braided in Fire, and author Solace Wales joins us now. Solace, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm thrilled because... uh, as you know, we communicated over the summer, and you're, I want to tell the listeners that your book was so invaluable to me in researching my book, Immortal Valor, and the story of Medal of Honor recipient John Fox. The work you've done in Braided and Fire is just outstanding, and I just want to let people know that. Okay, well, thank you. It is. You're a very dogged researcher. <laughs> well, it, over a long period of time, yeah. very long period of time. Yeah, I know. Now, this was the first history book you've written. What motivated <laughs> you to tell this story? It's kind of a long story how I got into it. My husband and I bought a ruin of a house in a tiny village in the foothills of the Apennines uh, in Italy. And uh, I became passionate about anything to do with this village that became our adopted village. We spent, you know, long periods, like four months a year there. And uh, so... Uh, starting in 1975. And I began hearing occasionally from my neighbors some daunting stories about what they had been through in the Second World War. And I was always really interested. But the minute they stopped talking, it vanished from my consciousness because here we were in this very bucolic uh, peasant village that was still functioning as a contadino uh, Italian village. And it, it, it was every you know it was it was beautiful and the, it, it, there were the prize i couldn't i simply couldn't envision modern warfare with you know mortars and machine guns in the, these beautiful gardens with their you know vegetable abundance and and uh lovely geraniums it and the kind of gentle life of of the old peasant way it, it just didn't compute. So mm. it was a long time before I finally saw some of the elders uh, die and realized that their stories, each of which was individual, were being lost. So finally, it, you know, it finally in 1987, I went next door to my bedridden um, 90-year-old neighbor and her daughter, who, who was in her late 60s then, I guess, and began... Um, Uh, doing oral history with them and Mm -hmm. when I started this and then you know it expanded and I basically interviewed everyone in the village who was uh, old enough to have remembered World War II and uh, I then realized how much larger this story was than than I knew but I still didn't know who John Fox was and he was a motivation in the sense that in 1980 I found this marker in the 
uh, village uh, little monument to Martiri de la Resistenza, which are the martyrs of the resistance movement. They were partisan fighters who were helping the allies who died in the village. And there was a little monument for them, but um, there was a marker there for, which I hadn't noticed, I couldn't understand. Uh, poor John Fox with, said USA, you know, is mm. there to tell the arm, USA army who died on the same day, which was the 26th of December, 1944. And when I asked everybody in the village, but nobody knew who he was. And uh, though I knew that most of the soldiers who had been in the village um, on that date were black. In fact, all of them were black. I found out later. Um, uh, I didn't know if this was an African-American or a white American. I knew that, that the higher ranking soldiers in that area were white. So I didn't, this was a lieutenant. So I just didn't know who Fox was and I couldn't seem to find out. It wasn't until 1992 that I read in a recently published um, American military book, a little t brief description of Fox's action and uh, found out that he was indeed an African-American. And that motivated me finally to, to do what I knew I should have been doing all along, which is to try to find some of the um, black vets who had been involved with Soma Colonia. But I had kind of dragged my feet on this because first place, I didn't know how in the world I'd find them. But then uh, I wondered why these vets would want to talk to me. You know, I, here, mm -hmm. here's this woman who knows nothing about the military and a, a white person with no direct experience of the prejudice that is so horrific in our society. And, and also, you know, they, these would be um, uh, painful memories, you know, so yeah. Uh, it, it, why would they want to share them with me, you know? But in fact, what happened was the response I received telephoning these men just out of the blue, because I was mainly on, on the phone calling all over the country, um, el eliciting often upsetting memories. It, it was just an experience I'll never forget, cause, because in fact, I was greeted with extraordinary warmth and candor and patience. I mean, it was, I had learned the main facts about what happened during the war in, in, in Italy from my neighbors who had had a fourth grade education, but who knew these facts viscerally and, you know, were very good at, at instructing me. And then I learned from the, the, these vets all, you know, about the organization of the military and the equipment and so on. And then afterwards, I read everything I could get my hands on that to do with the, you know, the in both Italian and English uh, about uh, the area that, of Soma Colonia. But very little was written directly about Soma Colonia because you have to realize all the soldiers, uh, the, the, the villagers had a very strong oral tradition, but not a written one. Mm -hmm. And then the soldiers, uh, many of most of whom died in that battle, um, um, were also had a, a strong oral tradition, but but they weren't keeping journals or you know. So yeah. there was very little direct uh, information, of, particularly about this village. And so it did take a lot of research and a lot of questions, you know, and and um, trying and finding out mainly from first hand sources, you know. Yeah, the majority of the soldiers involved did die in that battle. I think only 17 soldiers. Yeah, escaped. well, you know, you asked what 
what motivated me to tell the story I was passionate of course about this village but then once I learned from talking to the vets about the extraordinary myriad ways that they suffered prejudice in the U.S. Army of those times you know I wanted to contribute in some way however small to pointing out the unfairness of the prejudice in our society mm -hmm. so this became an accompanying passion you know along with the history of my beloved village uh, so two motivating things and it was a good thing I had them because it <laughs> took 30 years <laughs> yeah I know it's it, but in that time you uh, discovered uh, many things that hadn't been reported let's go back to the um, you mentioned the Italian partisans right can you paint a picture of the partisans and how vital they were to the Americans fighting alongside well, in the village uh, at the time of the battle, there were about approximately 25 partisans, and there were about 75 of uh, uh, black Americans of the 366th Infantry, uh, not, sorry, 366 uh, Infantry Regiment um, right. that were, so the 25 partisans, uh, about eight of them were stationed at the very top of the village on this little hillock next to a path leading down from the German encampment, which was only a mile and a half uphill um, on this path. And it was at even, Soma Colonia is at a high elevation. It's a little village that's um, 2,300 feet. But Lama, this little, the encampment where the Germans were, um, is at 3,000 feet. And mm. so um, with, both of them have very expansive views of the of the Sergio Valley and sort of strategic points, but uh, it, it's so close to the this German encamp, major German encampment. And also, Soma Colonia was the most northern point. Anyway, the the eight uh, partisans who were on this little hillock uh, defended the village when <clears throat> the, it was attacked initially before dawn at about five in the morning. Um, they were very good at stopping that initial um, attack, and it was helped by Fox directing artillery fire to, right. you know, just beyond where they were. So, uh, and they continued, they stayed at that point and continued to, de to defend the village from that point, which made it a little harder for the Germans, of course, to uh, pursue the attack. And then there were partisans elsewhere in the village who fought valiant, valiantly as well. February is Black History Month, and my new book, Immortal Valor, about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II, is out now. The book chronicles these immortal heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle up until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you check out the book to discover more as we celebrate Black History Month. Just visit my website at robchild.net or visit any online retailer. Now back to the conversation. Let's delve deeper into uh, the history of John Fox. You're probably the only author who's dug this deep into his history, and you've corrected many of the accepted facts about his actions in the battle. What were some of the major errors or misconceptions that uh, you discovered? Well, there were a number of them, um, uh, but it's, it, it's because partly the people who were writing about this, uh, there, there was little written and most of them of course didn't speak Italian. And so th there wasn't a connection with Italian sources 
before I started this, you see, mm -hmm. uh, because I was asking Italians too. And that was, I think, one of the major differences. And also because the foxes didn't receive any medal until the um, Distinguished Service Cross, that was in 1982. And that's where the what's stated in the citation in the Medal of Honor is comes from was the same as was in the 1982 um, Distinguished Service Cross uh, citation. Uh, and you have to realize that that was put together 35 years after the fact and yeah. only from American sources, you see. And so there were a lot of mistakes in it uh, uh, once I started really looking into it. Uh, one, I mean, the, the, the location of Fox's outpost, where he was when he made his dramatic call for artillery fire onto his own location, uh, according to the, the um, citation, it, he was in the second story of a, of a um, house. Well, that mistake came from his great friend, Otis Zachary, who had been in Soma Colonia and had been the forward observer in Soma Colonia, and he was in the second story of a house. So he right. had the coordinates to, to, sh you know, to shoot at Fox's OP, but uh, he thought it was the same location. And that's where the misinformation must have come from, you see, mm -hmm. because he was, of course, interviewed by the um, committee. Then there was a, even a mistake about where Zachary, where where the Cannon Company was when Zachary was received this dramatic call. You know, then came this call from his best friend saying, right. you, you, need, "You need to fire it at my location now." <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, Zachary said, "No, I can't do that." And you know, he called the colonel over, that his commanding colonel, and the colonel said, "Listen, you know what you're doing, John. You know," and Fox said. It has to be done now, you know, and uh, right. consistent. So anyway, it, it happened, as we all know, and uh, that the cannons were fired at, at Fox's location at the OP. All right, well, Zachary thought at the time that, that the cannon company that both he and Fox were with was in a town called Gallicano, okay? Mm -hmm. And because I interviewed Zachary, and I, and this was such a huge thing in his life, I was certain that he knew where he was, okay, that he was in Gallicano. Mm -hmm. And um, whereas all other sources said he was, that the Cannon Company was in Lopia, where the other batteries were, all right? But Zachary insisted, and I went to great lengths to prove, and prove that 55 millimeter cannons, which they had, could, had the range, you know, I called up this commanding uh, colonel, who, who said, who could, he was 90 something and, and had a very soft voice, but he could remember the precise uh, range and that was within range. But then it was, it, it, all, all people told me that, you know, even in Italy, the um, uh, Italian uh, experts said, well, no, the cannon would have been north facing and they wouldn't have had time to change it because it's difficult to change the direction of a, of a cannon. Like, mm -hmm. But I found out that the 55 millimeter cannons could be quickly changed because they were particular. And so, you know, I had, so I believed this for 18 years. <laughs> and then it, up came this um, morning report showing that Cannon Company was indeed in Lopia. So you see, you know, it took 
a long yeah. time to sort out some of these things. <laughs> Cross-checking, yeah. Yeah. I believe they were 105 millimeter cannons. Oh, they? yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, thank you. They were they were towed. I'll, I'll get to Zachary in a moment, but you were able to attend the White House ceremony, the Medal of Honor ceremony, with Fox's widow, Arlene Fox. Can you share some of the atmosphere on that day? Oh, right, yes. Uh, well, it was absolutely extraordinary, actually. It was really an amazing event. Uh, there was mostly an African-American audience, but, you know, and there were the members of the cabinet and General Colin Powell and all the, you know, military brass. But everyone present seemed conscious uh, that this, the implications of this occasion went beyond the importance of uh, the military honoring. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, it, it, it was, there was a, a feeling that we all knew that, that our country was finally able to admit its mistake in withholding acknowledgement of black soldiers. And President Clinton at the time was really superb on this occasion. And, you know, it, it, when he said history has been whole, made whole today, it had some weight. And mm -hmm. the mood was generally, you know, reverent and emotional. In the back, of course, there was this huge array of, of TV cameras and so on. Um, but at, at, towards the end, there was this moment of silence. It was just natural. Nobody said we're going to be silent. But there was this moment of silence in this jammed room, you know, and but it was a silence that felt really joyous. You know, it was it was quite wonderful. I have a photo of that in my forthcoming book of, of everyone's heads bowed um, like they're in prayer or a moment of silence. So you're saying that no one really. No one said we're going to have a moment of silence. It just was silent. It was amazing. That is amazing. Now, a company you to the White House that day was Fox's good friend, Otis Zachary. And can you share some of why he was so angu anguished over Fox's death? Yes, well, of course, you know, I met Zachary at, at, at the White House events, but I already knew him. It, you know, it's surprising how well you can get to know someone over the telephone. I, <laughs> it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But he, yeah. he was just as I expected. And, you know, he's sort of a jokester, but... Um, Anyway, uh, he, he he was having to order the cannons fired at his best friend was, of course, agonizing for him. But then seeing that was on 26th of December, 1944. Then when Fox's body was finally brought down from Selma Colonia, but around January 1st or so, the it what seeing him was very haunting for, for Zachary. He, he had loaned his friend John, the, his own, his field jacket for the frontline duty, because John only had dress uniforms. Mm. And um, it, it was, the, the body was just almost unrecognizable, riddled with shot and everything. And uh, the locket that he wore around his neck with Arlene's photo, his wife's photo and his college ring, which, and were gone. And his good boots, of course, had disappeared. You know, he couldn't help but think, but that could have been me. Because if Fox had not volunteered for that Christmas time duty, it would have been Zachary up there in Soma Colonia. When he was ordered to perform a, a saturation shelling of the town of Gallicano, he went a bit mad. He, he, his superiors had told him that no civilians uh, would be left in town there in, in, in Gallicano. And, and, 
and except civilians who were collaborators. Anyway, the, the morning after he did this, um, he, Italian civilians passed by him, old people and children hobbling along. And Zachary, seeing them, you know, they, they were wounded and bleeding. And, and Zachary, seeing them, felt like he was the devil incarnate. I mean, he just, he, he was so uh, devastated seeing these people in that shape. And he said, well, why didn't they leave? They, there'd been many, many, um, they dropped many pamphlets about how the civilians had to get out of the mm -hmm. town. He said, well, why didn't they leave? And his friend next to him, you know, he, by this time he was crying. And the friend next to him said, well, you know, they, they, they only have their houses. They don't have any money. They don't have any transportation. They don't know where to go, you know? And so uh, anyway, he, he, he really couldn't get over having done that. And later he never told anyone actually about this, not even his wife. And, um, he told me, I believe, because he wanted, at the end of his life, he wanted to pe people to know how he had suffered his whole life because of this mistake, you yeah. know. And, um, of course, it's unknown what the results of his using WP was. It, it may have caused little damage, actually, because it was nighttime and the people were all inside, probably in their basements, um, you know, for the safest place. So. It, it, the, the, the wounds that he observed may not have been because he used WP. But anyway, he really suffered because of this fact. I see, yeah. And had a hard time facing Gallicano when he came to Soma Colonia in 2000 for uh, the ceremony that honored um, the black veterans. So he was able to return. Yes, area. yes, he, he, he came. Uh, in 2000 to, to this wonderful event uh, at, hosted by the village and the local commune. Um, and, and I encourage the veterans that, that I had spoken with, you know, to, to come to this event. And it was, it was really quite extraordinary. Fox's widow attended. Yes, she was a very remarkable woman and so wonderfully able to to meet, you know, there were all these reporters, you know, hounding her and she was so succinct and able to say what was important. You know, um, they, you know, I remember at the White House, they asked her what, you know, what does this mean for your family? She said, I think it means goes way beyond the meaning for our family. It has to do with if a man uh, performs his duty, it doesn't matter the color of his skin, you know. Absolutely. She, it sounds like she was very poised, and uh, I spoke with her daughter on the phone. I guess she had, had earned the moniker "small but mighty." <laughs> yes, that's right. She was she was minute. I mean, I, that was the only surprise when I met her. She had this. She still had a, a Boston accent, you know, mm -hmm. uh, although she was living in Texas then with Sandra. And uh, but you know. It, it, powerful but then when i met her i did you know i knew she was so so just barely five feet i think the book is called braided in fire and i highly recommend people go out and purchase it solace thank you so much for being on the show today well i enjoyed it and it's great to meet you and i'm looking forward to your book that's it for this episode thanks again for joining me my conversation with solace is part of a series of shows this month focused on the seven black 
Medal of Honor recipients of World War II, and my book, Immortal Valor, which comes out tomorrow in the UK and January 11th in the United States. Our next episode will continue that focus as I speak with author Aline Carter, who is the daughter-in-law of Sergeant Edward Carter, one of the Medal of Honor recipients. History will never be able to talk about Sergeant Carter unless they tell his story. They can't bury it anymore. His story will always be told, and that's why I appreciate so much what you're doing, to keep this going. That's next time, and it's the first of two episodes with Aline Carter that you won't want to miss. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. You can find me on Twitter, at Rob Child, where you can share your comments about the show. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spirit. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.